Right, so because uh, obviously things have gone on a bit longer uh, as planned, so I'll try and keep the sermon short to about an hour. So. <laughs> just, just kidding. Some of the guests are like, is he for real? <laughs> okay, right. So I want to use uh, the scripture that um, Sandra mentioned earlier for you. And, um, so, uh, and it was from 1 Peter, uh, verse 2 to 3 and verse 23. It says, May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I just want to start with the first part. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, for us as Christians, we get very familiar with jargon. We get very familiar with language. You know, I mean, I come from an Anglican background, so you get this, may the peace of the Lord, the God of the Lord, and the grace of the Holy Spirit, and let's be with you. And, uh, and with these words, just they, they become so um, familiar that they lose their, their depth and the richness of their meaning. And we can become so familiar when we read the scriptures that we just read over these things without actually realizing the power that is in that opening statement. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, Peter was a Jew. I don't know if you knew that. But so when he wrote this, he was thinking like a Jewish person. So when he's using terms like grace and peace, he is thinking of the word chesed and shalom. So chesed for grace and peace, shalom for peace. So let's take a word what chesed means. It comes from the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew concept. And it's basically God's loving kindness and his mercy and his, his overflowing kindness towards us. But no one can have access to that chesed, to that covenantal favour, to that grace, unless you're in a covenant relationship with God. So if you're not in a covenant relationship with God, even though you can still be blessed by God, because God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous and pours the sunshine on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, nevertheless, those that, those that follow in his ways have God's specific favour resting upon them. And so this isn't just some kind of like nice Christian greeting that, that, that Peter's giving here. Let's bear in mind that this is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is, not, this is not a nice introduction. What would be a nice spiritual sounding introduction? Oh, I know. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is, this is the word of God. This is the spirit of God driving him as he's writing this down. And it's the spirit actually of God that is speaking to the churches through an individual and through his experience and through his life. Like Luke, when you read the Gospel of Luke, he's a doctor. So he sees things from a doctor's point of view. Nevertheless, it is the spirit of God using that man. And so may grace, may God's covenantal favour be upon you. Now, when I went to Bible college and I, you know, we had to study what does grace mean? And you get these really dry kind of answers. Like, what's the grace of God? It's like the unmerited favour of God. And that just, that just makes God sound really naff and meh. But, uh, but actually, you know, Psalm 23 teaches us that our God is an abundant God. He's a generous God. He's an overflowing God. If you hold your cup out, it runneth over. That's the kind of God that we serve. He is a wonderful God. He's a powerful God. He's a miraculous working God. But even through times of hardship, even through times of pain and agony and questioning, and where am I? Why am I going through this? God is always there. God is always showing his kindness. God will not fail us and he will not forsake us. 
He is an ever-present help in time of need. I preached on that this morning, so that sermon will go up as well uh, in the week. God being an ever-present help in time of need. So may grace, God's covenantal favour, you know, like in number six, where it talks about the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, may he make his face to shine upon you. It's talking about God's goodness and kindness always being upon you. Now, you might go through some difficult circumstances in your life and you might go, well, where's God's kindness in that? Where's God's goodness in that? And this is what I love about you, Sandra, is that you have been through some tough times in your life, haven't you? I mean, some seriously tough times. Yet she always seems to see it from a different perspective than probably most people would. Most people would be going, oh, but why, God, why? But Sandra's like, but, you know, I know what it's like to die and it hurts a bit, but when you're on the other side, I met Jesus. And so for her, dying, you're not frightened of dying, are you? Dying for her is like she knows what happens when she dies. She's going to meet with Jesus. And we can often look at things. It's always how you look at things will determine things. You see, God is always at work in our lives. But the problem is, is we get blind to it. We get so blasé about what God is actually doing. And sometimes you can only see the hand of God through the rearview mirror. So, for example, for those that know the book of uh, Esther, you know, did you know that the word God, I don't believe, is mentioned once in that book? And so you read it, but you can see God all over it. But if you're in the story, you're like, man, we're in a really bad situation here. Esther has to go and marry a, a pagan king, right? It was a despot. It was a very nasty piece of works. Um, and so she had to marry this guy you know, love this guy, sleep with this guy, and all for such a time as this. And, and you think, well, this is, this is terrible time, you know, the things, the persecution that was about to come upon the Jews. Yet somehow God was in all of that. Somehow in that craziness and that seeming randomness, God was in it. May grace, God's covenantal favour and peace. That takes us to the next word, peace. What is peace? Well, it comes from the Hebrew word shalom, because again, Peter's a Jew, he's not a Gentile, he's a Jew, and he's going to think like a Jew, he's going to use Jewish terminology, which doesn't come out in the Greek, unfortunately, but he's saying shalom. Now, shalom isn't just a shalom, shalom, it's not just a hello, hello, it's also, and it's not just an absence of conflict. When God says peace, he means it in a whole nother way. You know, when the angels heralded the birth of Christ, said goodwill and peace to men, he's talking about Again, it's to do linked with covenant, but is overwhelming, overshadowing prosperity that is on you in such a great way that you cannot do anything but be in the place of peace. You can't fear. You can't be in the place of tumult. You can't get angry. You're just knowing my God has got this covered. And therefore God's peace, God's shalom, God's goodness rests upon me like a cloak and I can be at peace. But, like in everything in our lives, you have to walk in it. You know, we, 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 we so, I was thinking about this this morning, you know, sometimes we would just like to get laid hands on and that thing that we've been wrestling for years, just, just take it away. And God will do that to some people. But to some people it's like, no, 
I'm going to take you through a journey. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to develop character. We're going to develop things that you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. And you're going to grow and understand things that you probably never would have understood other, other, before. And also, if you've learned how to walk in something, then you can tell other people how to walk in it so they can be free like you're being free. And it's about making disciples and discipling people into a place of freedom. So that's how God works more often than not. God's not necessarily into the quick fixes. He's more interested in the journey. I remember this, this guy is a friend of mine. And I said to him, I just, want to, I just want to get to my destiny in Jesus. I just want to get to the end goal. And he's like, okay, this guy, he just comes out with all these little slogans. He, I mean, I have to write them down. He should do a book or something. And he just says, you know, God's more interested in the destination. No, God's more interested in the journey than the destination, son. And I was like, whoa, that's profound. And he said, you know, because it's on that journey, that's where you pick up the nuggets of gold and you pick up the, the things that develop character in us so that we can become more Christ-like. And Christ, I don't know if you noticed, he went through some stuff. He went through some trying times. I didn't realise this until when I really kind of thought about it, it made perfect sense. But 99% of your Psalms is all about Jesus. So when, when he's... When you know this and you think, Lord, Lord you know, uh, the, my, the, the evil are surrounded around me. They are constantly attacking your law. They are attacking me. Lord, please deliver me. And as you read these Psalms, you might be thinking, well, I'm actually having a great day today. You know, I've got, got the shopping coming. I'm not hungry. I don't feel like a worm. I feel great. But if you read the Psalms, knowing that it's Jesus and it's Jesus on the cross, even when it says, I am so weighed down with my sin. You go, oh, where we go with this, Chris? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew, knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So as Jesus hung upon the cross, he became every single sin of all time. And he says, My bones groan and ache within me because of the weight of the sin. And you feel his heart and his agony towards his father. Even to the point that even in that, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then he goes on to say, yet yeah, I shall yet praise you. And, and, and this brings me to the other point is often in our lives, we don't really understand things quite clearly. So, for example, you know, when Jesus is on the cross and he's calling out for his father to deliver him, we might think eh, it's kind of a bit late now, isn't it? It's a bit late in the day. He is now on the cross. But Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross. Jesus knew that he had to die. So Jesus knew he was going to get victory over his enemies through the resurrection. You know, it says in the Psalms, he went down into the pits of hell. As it says in Ephesians 4, he who ascended, descended and took captivity captive. So we know when we read the Psalms about going down into the depths of the earth, this is Jesus. He went down there. But yet he just trusted in God and God raised him up on the third day. And then he had victory over all his enemies. But he had to go through some stuff. He had to go through some pain. He had to get to that point where it was even, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in that midst of that turmoil and that trouble and that pain and that anguish and that suffering, God was with him and God delivered him. Now, most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, they go, well, God, could you not deliver me before we get to that point? Could, could we not have to quite get... But, you know, but even, even that was Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't it? Jesus, it was Jesus like, oh, Father, please, if this cup can pass from me, please. But then he said, you know, let not my will be done but yours. Jesus knew what it was going to cost him. And that, that's why it's called the passion. Because Jesus so loved us 
You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But bear in mind that Jesus is God. And so he equally loved us to lay down his life like that. I'm given the picture of Abraham when he's with his son and uh, he's going to slay him. And his like, son's like, hey, dad, where's, where's the lamb or the goat? And he's like, don't worry, son, the Lord will provide, you know. And, and there he was. And it says that the son allowed him to place him upon the altar and bound him up with wood and there with the knife. The son never tried to stop him because it was a prophetic type of what Jesus would do, knowing full well that he had to die. So may grace and peace be yours, but not just peace be yours, but in abundance. And it's a, it's a super overflowing, completely uncontainable. You know, it's that, it's that Luke where it says, Luke, in, uh, I think it's chapter six, where it says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom. This is the overflowing, the wonderful working, over the top, miraculous, beautiful, wondrous God that gives us way beyond that we deserve or way beyond anything we could ever dare even ask or imagine by his power that does it work within us. And this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we love. He is so good to us. And even when we go through those dark times, often when we look back and actually look back properly, we can think, actually, you know what? I didn't understand what I went through, but looking back, I can see the hand of God in all of this. And the question is, we don't want to go through suffering, do we? We don't want to go through hard times. Like, oh, Jesus, why did you make me do this? And why that? I don't know. Jesus suffered. He had to suffer. Sometimes we go through some difficult stuff. But God has promised he'll never fail us. He'll never forsake us. And his grace and his peace are ours in abundance. And I love it in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And so baptism often represents new birth. The waters represent, as you go into the waters, it represents dying with Christ. And as we come out of the waters, it represents resurrection with Christ. And that we are a new creation, this new birth into a living hope. By his great mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve when we, if we're honest about it, I don't like doing this very often, but I make it a good thing to do, is sometimes um, I look in the mirror, okay? I know what you're thinking, don't you do that all the time, Chris? I sometimes I look in the mirror, uh, metaphorically, and I take a good look at myself, and I examine myself. Now some Christians go, oh no, Chris, you shouldn't do that, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, you're not a sinner and all this kind of stuff. Yes, I know that's true, but hey, you can speak to my wife, I still sin. So sometimes I take a good look at myself, so I get my humility and I get myself in perspective. Actually, I can be quite grouchy. Yeah, go figure, right? Yeah, I know you, yeah, some of you think, yeah, I meant to that. Okay, I can be, I can be quite grouchy. And, and, and sometimes I look at myself and, and I just, and I think of the goodness of God towards me and all the wonderful things he, he's given to me and done for me over the years. And I think, I don't deserve it. I just don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve his kindness. I don't deserve why he went to the cross for me. I don't deserve any of it. Now, when you think like that, it then just brings you back. It's like Isaiah, when he was in the temple and he saw the glory of Jesus, he said, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. But he saw the glory of God. He had a revelation of God. And sometimes it's good for us to take a look at ourselves and it's not nice and go, you know what? I'm not that great. 
But Jesus in his mercy, Jesus in his grace loves me. And it's because of that love and that acceptance that I can stand up with my shoulders high and my head held aloft and, and be in a place of dignity before my God because he's given me dignity and he's given you dignity as well. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he's given us a new birth. And today what we've seen in baptism, it is this new birth it is this new creation. You know, often in, in denominationalism, we can get stuck into this mold of the cross. It's about where well, you come to the cross of Jesus and you come to the death of the cross. But, but, they, but then they stay there. But God wants us to go through the cross and then come to the resurrection because it's the resurrection that gives the cross its power. Because without the resurrection, the cross is irrelevant. You know, it says that in Corinthians. If there is no, if there is no resurrection, then of all people, we are the most to be pitied. Yeah, because we're trying to live this life and it's like, well, why even bother? Because, you know, you might as well whine women in song because tomorrow you die. That's Paul saying, if there is no resurrection, then sure. But we, we do have a resurrection and we're given this living hope. Christianity is not a false, vain religion that's based on blind faith. The more I study scripture, the more I study church history, the more I study you know, how the scriptures came about and stuff, the more I am utterly convinced that this book is 100% the word of God. The more I study, the more and more and more, and you get these people that try to critically look at it, and yet time and time again, archaeology and all various other things keep disproving their arguments time and time and time again. When is enough going to be enough? When is it going to be like, you know what, we've been doing this for like hundreds of years and we still can't do it, let's just give up. Yeah, This is the wondrous word of God. But this is the next bit of the verse I just want to look at and then we'll close here. Is that we have given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in our mortal bodies, giving us life. Jesus has come to give us life. How much? Life in abundance. Hallelujah. Abundant life. That means you can go through some stuff and still have a smile on your face. That means you can go through hell and come back. And even though you've gone through a really a tough time, you can still hold your head up and say, my God was with me. Because even though you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I was saying this morning, you know, about how Jesus is the eternal king. He is eternally God Almighty, but he abhorred not the virgin's womb, that he stripped himself of all his omnipotence and all his power and all his majesty and all his glory. And he came into a poor country girl of like 15 years of old and got birth through her into this world so he could be just like us in slavery to sin, although himself was not a slave to sin, walking about us, walking amongst people like, I'm free, I'm free, but actually they're all chained up and can't see their own poverty and their own chains and their own bondage to their sins and to their sickness and to the things of Satan. And Jesus came into our valley, Jesus came into our sufferings, Jesus came into our muck to get us out of our muck, to give us hope beyond the grave, to give us a proof, to give us a way, to show us that there is resurrection of the dead, to show us that there is life after death. Amen. 
Because as we heard today in the testimony, Sandra said, you know, she died. And who did she see? Jesus. Jesus. How awesome is that? I love it. I love hearing testimonies of people who have died and seen Jesus. I died, but I didn't get to see him, unfortunately. Or if I did, I don't remember. I love, I love hearing stories. Gutted. I was so gutted. I love hearing stories about people who have had encounters with Jesus. Why are these encounters so special? Because it gives us hope of our resurrection. It gives us hope that what we believe is not vain, but we have a living hope. And it's because of the goodness of the Father. It's because of the grace of the Father. And that he's lavished us with his peace. And he's lavished us with his grace. And he's given us this wonderful eternal life. That even though we're going through tough times, even though we're going through valleys and dark seasons, that God is with us in the muck, in the darkness. And he will never fail you. And he'll never forsake you. He's not waiting for you to get perfectly holy because he is coming down into our mess to get us out of our mess that's why he's called God the deliverer so he can deliver us from darkness and put us into a better place and into a higher place but sometimes brothers and sisters you have to go through the valley but God is with you no one wants to go through the valley everybody hates the valley but there'll be a day when you come through that valley and finally the sun shines again and finally you come into that place of joy again. And even though you walk through that place, thought, where was my God? Where was this? And then you look back and then you see it so clearly. There he was. There he was. Through that person, through this situation, through that circumstance, in that Bible reading, in that, 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 that moment where I, I called on the name of God. Oh, God, help me. And suddenly things just changed. Amen. Let's not forget the goodness of God. I want to end with this. You can have two glasses in this world, you can either put the glasses of faith on or you can put the glasses of carnality on. If you put the glasses of carnality on, there is hopelessness. There is nothing. Absence. But when you put the glasses of faith on, not that these are glasses of blind faith, because actually they help you see clearly, then you will see God here, God there, God there, God everywhere. Amen? God bless you.